Welcome to Tool Talk from Exegetical Tools, where we discuss sound practices and steady resources to help you rightly divide the word of truth. Really blessed today to be with Dr. Todd Chipman. Todd, how you doing? I am well, brother. Good, good. I met Dr. Chipman, professor at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, last year when I began my studies online through Greek. Uh, Exegetical Tools focuses a lot on biblical languages, and especially in Koine Greek. And so I thought he'd be just a great person to talk to, not just because of his area of expertise, but also because of his story. Uh, You have a bit of a unique path, a unique story. Why don't you share that a little bit with our listeners? Yes. Uh, thanks, Travis. And first, just uh, good to be on Exegetical Tools. Uh, I've appreciated uh, for the last couple of years following uh, Todd Scasewater, and uh, we have a great name in common, That's as right. well as uh, exegetical desires and interest in Dead Sea Scrolls and uh, and Christianity and worldviews and, and so many other points of contact. So it's it's fun and it's a privilege to get to connect with you all here and appreciate your work in these podcasts. I think these are helpful. In some ways, uh, just an advertisement. This is unsolicited for exegetical tools. Uh, I'm a fan of, of various websites and authors and There are some I check uh, every day. Uh, Tim Challies is one in terms of his a la carte series and just catching up in Christian news. And in some ways, um, Exegetical Tools does a a bit of that with biblical studies. Here's an a la carte. Here's a catching up with websites and things. And so it's great to connect. And this leads me to think about my desires for exegesis and thinking through the Bible to the world uh, in, in some ways uh, could be a phrase that, that uh, encapsulates um, my hopes and, and my passions. I uh, came to MBTS as a student uh, fall of 1999 and interested in, in biblical languages and began to take those courses also as a pastor and began pastoring in Kansas City here uh, after uh, entering seminary and found really that pastor and scholarship model to be very helpful, and one area fed the other. And I think my congregation now, I've been pastoring a Master's Community Church, uh, a Southern Baptist church in Kansas City here for about 17 years, and I think folks who've been there over the years have recognized how scholarship has benefited our church and how our church in some ways has helped me to be a better scholar. So I've seen that ebb and flow and the way that one of those areas of ministry fosters the other and advances it. And uh, so over the years, completed a couple of master's degrees at Midwestern Seminary, and then uh, over the years of the development of the seminary, the PhD program began, and I was able to enter that and continue on and still pastoring and completing the PhD in 2014 in uh, New Testament, and uh, my dissertation is in Hebrews and intertestamental backgrounds of Hebrews. And continuing on now uh, as, as a faculty uh, of MBTS, I had adjunct opportunities over the years and then was asked by Dr. Allen, the president of MBTS, to join the faculty a couple of years ago and have been able to do that and continue on with church in, in somewhat the same role, but trying to raise up other leaders and sharing that uh, leadership and, and continuing to preach and, 
and guide the church in terms of our beliefs and practicing those beliefs, uh, but still teaching and trying to devote time to scholarship as well. So that's the big picture uh, of, of the Lord's bringing along of my journey. Yeah, and I got to say, I've been at Masters a little while now, your church, uh, since moving up here to Kansas City, and, and I've noticed, and I think I remarked to you as well, I can see the fruit hmm. of that pastor-scholar model in the people I talk to. I mean, here's a congregation of people with diverse ages, diverse uh, backgrounds, and yet all of them speak from the Bible. Hmm. Uh, they speak... Mm-hmm. From a biblical worldview, they're constantly applying the scriptures to everyday conversation. Um, so I can just attest a little bit to the fruit of that over a long-term ministry. And I would say you're probably an advocate for long-term ministry as much as I can it can tell and have surmised from you. Um, I really just want to talk today about that pastor-scholar model. Uh, where do you think that idea comes from? Why is it uh, gaining so much steam today? Mm. What are maybe some of the pitfalls to avoid? What are maybe some of the benefits to pursue? I'd love to hear your thoughts more generally about that. Yes, Travis, and this issue, uh, when we think about pastor-scholar, we're thinking here about roles, titles perhaps, um, but underneath both of those titles if we were to adjust our language a bit, we could think about them in terms of verbs. And I would say, first off, I think it's helpful for even younger men, seminary students. If, if I were uh, talking just to you seminary students who are listening now and thinking about this model, I would encourage you first to, to have a perspective of the pastor-scholar, not in terms of just title or in terms of noun— but in terms of verb and in terms of action. So pastoring and studying. And as you have that perspective, in some ways you'll already begin to connect the dots. Because as you're pastoring, you're relating with people, you're setting direction of the church, you're visiting you're ministering in a variety of ways, you're coordinating events, in the back of your mind, you're also thinking about questions of why are we doing this? What are the goals? Who will this help? Who will this truly equip in an Ephesians 4 kind of way? And as you are studying or scholaring, to coin a phrase, or doing academic work, you're thinking as well about the implications of this for people, for people who you visit in the hospital, for people who you talk to on Sundays or in their homes uh, during the week or in a small group kind of setting, or people who you have in your home just to be hospitable or to connect with. Also, people who you are hoping to evangelize. As a pastor, that is one aspect of ministry that many scholars don't get to enjoy as much, simply because their time is, is maybe more devoted in one way. So the first principle I'd, I'd maybe think about with seminary students especially, but though with pastors perhaps as well as you're listening, is to think about these roles not so much in just terms of concrete titles or nouns, but activities. And I think as you do that, in some senses, you're freed up a bit. Sometimes um, 
if, if we just think of, I need to be a pastor, I'm looking for that pastor title, or I want to be a scholar, and this is one where many seminary students are just aspiring to that scholarship. I want to be known as a scholar or an academic, and and that's great. <clears throat> the way to get there is just to study <laughs> and to read and write. So think about those kinds of activities as much as the titles or the nouns, and then you'll be able to connect those dots more easily because the activities of many pastors include studying, or should for for most pastors. And to that degree, then, uh, many pastors are, are scholastic, even they don't think of themselves as a scholar, because they're trying to study the Bible. They're, they're doing the very best they can with the resources they have, and so they progress in that capacity. Many scholars have a desire to connect with students in their classes. They want to help them to see how the scriptures apply to their life, to their situation, and so they can foster that as they think pastorally and doing pastoral kind of activities, praying for students, checking in on students, seeing how students are doing in a variety of areas of life, not just in that particular seat, learning that particular Greek paradigm or Hebrew paradigm or church history figure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I appreciate that as a languages guy, you mm-hmm. decided to to put this into parts of speech for us. I just yeah. think that's funny. Um, there's certainly a particular mindset that comes along, I think, with studying the languages at any any level. And so I guess I'd also ask then to kind of help demystify this, mm. whether this is for uh, seminarians, as you've already mentioned, these are for pastors who have uh, pursued higher education, maybe even doctoral studies, and are are wondering if they should devote any amount of time or what kind of amount of time to that reading and writing you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe to help demystify it a little bit, what does a week look like for you as someone who's actively doing both of these things? Yes, great, great question. Let me couch this in a couple of, of weeks, maybe one where I wasn't quite as involved on a faculty and then now as a faculty, but still being a pastor, so so and, and pastoring to be consistent with what I said a moment That's ago right. in terms of my verbs versus nouns. Uh, I'll, I'll work backward. Currently, I'm on faculty at Midwestern Seminary, so my role is is a faculty member, though I have a somewhat of a decreased load because I am pastoring. But generally, my days start in a in a way that. I'm not sure if it's pastoring or it's uh, scholastic kind of work or academic activity because it's just reading my my Bible on my own. Pretty early most mornings I start. And that, I think, is the place where these two roles and the activities of them really begins in a personal way. And for many of us, it's reading our Bibles, and for those who are into more scholastic pursuits and, and pastoring from a scholastic perspective, uh, reading the languages in and beginning the day that way, and thinking through roles of the day, activities of the day in a prayerful way as I read and take in. And then mornings are often devoted to further study or teaching, uh, preparing lessons or writing, depending on what the activity is, if it's a paper or if it's something I'm, I'm hoping to publish as maybe part of a book 
or if I'm studying for a lecture or studying for a sermon or a, a message that I'm doing. Most mornings are devoted to study, and most afternoons are with people, be it students meeting them or meeting with folks in my church. Uh, I, I help out in a, in a church school group that we have, and I teach there once a week in the afternoons, uh, maybe over lunch. I may be meeting with a student or someone in our church, and in the evening, occasionally a meeting, but often family time or or other activities uh, kind of catching up. So that's generally the scope now as a, um, as a faculty member. And when my role was maybe 60-40 the other way, uh, pastoring as opposed to teaching, the activities of the day were fairly similar. Most mornings early, I would spend in my own study of the Word for myself and praying for various needs in the church or in um, the academic community that I was aware of, that I was a part of in teaching in more limited capacity, praying for needs uh, uh, around me in the world. And then in the mornings, some of those same activities of studying generally, in the afternoon meeting with people or coordinating events, whatever would be needed. And uh, for both scholars uh, and pastors, those who are fulfilling those roles, uh, the the success, again, of one area may help us in another area, and we need to coordinate them and be attentive to both uh, as much as we can. Amen. So this is a question that's uh, a little bit more coming from a place of my own stewing on and wrestling with. And I think since we're touching on the topic, and you've already mentioned how your study in the morning, particularly your Bible reading in the morning, really um, crosses both of those things. It's part of being a good pastor is immersing yourself in the Word. It's part of being a good scholar, knowing God's Word in that way. Do you have a—do you see a difference? Do you make a distinction in— what we might call devotional Bible reading versus Bible reading for some kind of study, whether that's sermon prep or, or, or writing uh, scholastically about it. Do you? And I guess on, on the ground level, are you are you marking verb tenses and syntax when you wake up in the morning and you're studying your Bible? Do you actively keep yourself from doing those things? What does it look like for you? That is a great question. Um, and I I speak. Uh, pretty regularly to new students at Midwestern Seminary, new student classes who come in, and I advocate a position of separating your general coursework Bible reading from your own uh, personal intake of the Word. Um, and, And I do that for a few reasons. One, it's easy to go through seminary and to to actually miss God at times and miss his, his work just in your own life or to make reading the Bible a duty that you have to do for a grade in a class or to memorize something as opposed to just God's Word and who He is. And, and this gets to this, um, if, if you're listening along and you've been listening uh, to uh, Travis and I's conversation so far, underneath much of what I'm saying is that both pastoring and academic work is an inside-out activity. It's God working in and through us. It's not programmatic. It is, it is disciplined. It is um, 
a process, but it is God working in an active way through people. And that means you have a relationship with God, and you're learning, you're studying, you're growing. And so uh, I do mark verb tenses in the morning, but that is because over the years I have had enough study of the languages to where it's not work in the morning to do that. It's natural. It's what I, it's how I learn. But it wasn't that way 15 or 20 years ago. It was just me and an English text, and I'd have a Greek or Hebrew text open just to fumble along. And now I, I still I have an English text, text to fumble along with uh, as I'm reading Greek or Hebrew and, and, uh, and going in that direction. But Travis, that question brings up something that I think uh, those seminary students who are listening, and, and pastors as well, your, your time studying on your own for yourself will make you a better student in other capacities and and makes us better pastors and better scholars. Uh, It's as if the Spirit expands our capacity when we study the Word for ourselves and just for Him and then fills that in in uh, courses and and, uh, resources that exegetical tools or a seminary provide. Absolutely. I think even in our, I think, I believe it's our second episode, it's talking about something very similar in the devotional life mm-hmm. of a pastor, a mm-hmm. student, a scholar, and how there is an exponential return on mm-hmm. those endeavors mm-hmm. in knowing God's Word, and partly because you might be able to search in a concordance or, or with a Bible study software for a particular word, and maybe they've even compiled a particular subject, um, but there's something about doing biblical theology that requires you to have a concept and to understand that concept in its biblical setting to better understand maybe if it's being alluded to or hinted at or expanded upon in another setting in the Bible. And that's something that you just get from knowing the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't go find it. You have to get it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense, mm-hmm. but it sounds like it'd be mm-hmm. in the Proverbs somewhere if we were yes. updating them today. You can't find it. You got to go get it. Mm-hmm. And you're saying you go get it by studying devotionally uh, God's Word. You've been working on, for a while now, Scripture Storyline, which is at scripturestoryline.com, correct? Yes. Um, and so I get every morning an email running commentary through about three or four chapters of Scripture meant to go along with a one-year daily Bible reading plan. Uh, would you recommend that for that kind of devotional study? How would you encourage people to use that? I would. ScriptureStoryline.com uh, is my website, and this is a biblical theology study program. It's broken into a couple of different uh, frameworks. One is, as you mentioned, a daily reading plan. If someone follows this six days a week, they will read through the entire Bible in a year, and there is commentary available that can be signed up for, and that will come to the inbox of uh, whatever email addresses uh, would be entered there each day. And that provides, uh, again, as you mentioned, three or four chapters, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less, depending on Old Testament or New Testament. And then the commentary brings that chapter together, or that those chapters, in light of the coming of Christ and helping folks connect dots, Old Testament and New Testament. So uh, nearly all the places where the Old Testament is quoted in the New, wherever someone is reading at in the Old Testament, in the notes I try to point them toward where it's at in the New, and what kind of connections the 
New Testament authors might be making. And then when we're reading in the New Testament, it's looking back at the Old and seeing the context from which these passages are taken. And this is a fantastic way to read the Bible, to think about these connections, Old Testament and New Testament. And this is, I think, in some ways, the first hermeneutic. Uh, the, The way that Peter and Paul, Jesus as well, take up phrases, passages from the Old Testament and apply them in, in sometimes new and unique ways help, helps us to understand the glory of God's work in Christ and in time and, and provides a richness to understanding the whole of the Bible. It's fascinating that, that both Peter and Paul, for instance, quote Psalm 16 uh, in their first sermons in Acts, Peter in Acts 2, Paul in Acts 13, and they both cite Psalm 16 as evidence of the resurrection. And if someone's just reading Psalm 16 on their own, they may not see, uh, you will not leave my soul in Sheol, I your holy one, to see destruction as evidence of Jesus' resurrection. But uh, Stephen Neal and N.T. Wright, in in their book on history of New Testament interpretation, note that um, the New Testament authors ransacked the Old Testament looking for phrases, ideas, verses, concepts by which to explain uh, Jesus and his coming and this great, marvelous work that God had done. So uh, I do recommend this as a resource. It is a bit scholastic, but it can help students and pastors to connect the dots, Old Testament to New Testament, in a daily way. It's also available in a second framework, by book in order of Old Testament and New Testament books, so that if someone is wanting to just study, for instance, Ezekiel, and think about biblical theology, think about how Ezekiel's setting in the Old Testament uh, post-exilic time period casts a shadow into the New Testament and where it's used at in the New Testament, they can just study those particular uh, lessons there in Ezekiel. And uh, I began this in about uh, 2007, so we're at 10 years, and many folks have found it valuable, and and I've enjoyed interacting with folks about it over the years. I would recommend something like that or just a regular discipline plan. And most uh, of those who are pursuing pastoral kind of ministry and scholastic kind of ministry are looking for some some kind of a study program to work through. And, And I was just a bit of the impetus for Scripture Storyline, I was working through Robert Murray McShane's Bible reading calendar, and that is a very popular and helpful calendar to to use in reading. You read four different passages each day, and those can be in different parts of the Bible. You may be reading, I mentioned Ezekiel a moment, you may be reading in Ezekiel and James the same day, one chapter each, but that does provide a bit of a strain contextually to see the connections that might be there, Travis. And so what I did with Scripture Storyline is organize a calendar where there's a larger chunk of reading each day, but that can be synthesized within its own setting and then the broader New Testament as well. And that's got to be a helpful touchstone for people who are considering, you know, if they're not doing it on the daily level, but they're just looking at a particular passage and they're Mm -hmm. thinking, what issue should I be aware of? There's always a sense of, 
you don't know what you don't know. Yes. Uh, and that's what part of that reading is. You can dive headfirst into the most technical commentary you can find, or you can start somewhere that's going to introduce you to things you ought to be thinking through mm-hmm. and then move out from there, I feel like, in a more disciplined way. Uh, I know that's helpful. I actually use that a little bit when preaching through First Peter, just to say, what issues should I be aware of in this mm-hmm. text? What trajectory should I be thinking about? And then as I did deeper study, I looked out for those things as I went. So that was incredibly helpful for me. Todd, having um, gone through, you, you started your, your master's studies and then started preaching, uh, you continued on through the PhD, and then uh, pretty, pretty quickly thereafter began as a faculty member mm-hmm. here at Midwestern. Um, and that is, I know, for a lot of seminarians, maybe PhD mm-hmm. students that are listening right now, um, very much the goal. They want to be a pastor scholar, so they, they see the benefit of it. If they're wondering, okay, I'm about to finish up a PhD, or I've just finished up a PhD, I want to be in these worlds, uh, what should they be considering and where should they be looking? Obviously, so much of that is just not up to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so much of that is just uh, God and His providence. Um, but what would you consider during that time? I think there, <clears throat> as, you, as you mentioned, a number of principles that come up, and, and it begins with thinking about God, and it's, it's this inside-out idea. His providence uh, allows certain people in certain places to have certain opportunities that other people in other places may not have. So uh, in, in thinking just about that as the general principle, that God is at work and trusting Him to open doors or close doors— several ideas surface beneath that. One, and this has been a theme of our conversation today, be faithful where we're at, seek God in His Word, be more of a verb uh, person and in terms of your ministry and gifting than just seeking a title or a position. Be someone who, if you are a scholar, but you're, you're feeling like there's a need to to be more pastoral than be more involved in church and seek people out and how you can help and so forth. And if someone's pastoring and wanting to be a scholar, then uh, pursue greater avenues of study. Uh, force yourself to write. Force people to edit your work and force them to, but, but ask them to, to edit your work, to evaluate you. Take formal courses and see what kind of opportunities might open up from those courses and those relationships. But you mentioned specific students who are finishing up seminary or who are, who are in the midst of seminary and sensing a call to scholastic work. Let me comment just specifically to those folks. A couple of ideas. First, the number of positions for someone to be uh, known as a scholar with a noun that this is what you do, the number of those positions versus the number of people who are interested in scholarship is vastly different. There are only so many schools, there are only so many positions, and the number of those positions uh, may not increase rapidly in the next 10 or 20 years. Uh, Statistics show that more and more schools are looking for more adjunct professors than full-time scholars, and so that means that there are more opportunities to be involved but the involvement is going to be more shallow. And that is good news for students who are in seminary, getting ready to get out and wanting to jump into academics, because it will provide you opportunities. 
but it may not provide you all the opportunities you want. And so it's good to set your expectations again on the verb, not the noun. Set it on the opportunity you have to do this work as opposed to earning a title. You, As an adjunct professor, uh, I would encourage students who are finishing up to think of those opportunities apply, apply broadly for lots of different openings that, that you would hear about and give yourself to that work without regret, without thinking, oh, this is a stepping stone. You realize that you may teach an online course in, in Old Testament or New Testament or church history or a language course, and you may massively affect a student who affects a whole church. And you have a great influence in that way, and you may not sense that that's real scholarship, but that is. It's legitimate. And I say that because more and more schools are following that very path. So it is the case that that is a framework that is legitimate scholastic ministry. And I think we're seeing uh, that the quality of adjuncts is rising, because there are fewer full-time opportunities, the quality of the adjuncts is rising, and students are seeing that and giving themselves to it and finding great joy in, in the doing of that teaching and the research they can help students to do, the, the, the way they can keep themselves fresh in the particular discipline of their interest, uh, really uh, has a staying power for them. And if something opens up down the road, that's great. One other point I'd want to make, just besides the uh, disparity of full-time jobs versus number of folks available, and again, I want to emphasize that an an adjunct or a part-time capacity can be a a great uh, ministry and a great help even for a pastor to try to take those things up, is the issue of resources and money, this is something that we probably don't talk enough about in evangelicalism and leadership and, and, and ministry and scholastics, that, that most seminary professors and scholars, they may, someone may think they make a lot of money or something, but they really don't. Um, most pastors of average churches, average-sized churches, and I don't mean that in a, a negative way at all, but just that's the giving capacity of a church is related to its quantitative uh, capacity and the number of people that are there, they make uh, just as much, if not more, than seminary professors, um, because seminaries uh, can only charge so much. Uh, they're They're economically concerned. They have large facilities often to maintain. Uh, They have a number of other commitments. Some are denominationally subsidized, some are not. And so there's only so much money to go around, and um, that that does play into what opportunities are available for full-time faculty. And because of that, uh, the pastorate uh, does provide sometimes a, a, a bit more of an economically uh, feasible model for some students. I think that's important to hear. Again, demystifying. Yeah. Um, because there is just a sense of, well, these are the people that I read, and people throw around their name, and we're aware of them, and we have benefited greatly from their scholarly work. Um, but the truth is that those are very few and far between. There are so many other people who are serving in some kind of, whether adjunct capacity or uh, full-time but relatively anonymous capacity, and the work they're doing is important, which is why, and I think this is what you're getting at, do you enjoy the work of scholarship? Yeah. 
That's an important question. Not do you want to be a scholar, a noun. Do you enjoy the work of scholarship? Are you gifted and called for the work of scholarship? Which I think is an incredibly important question to ask. And likewise for pastors. Um, And hopefully God is granting us hearts uh, Mm. to be shepherds either way. Mm. Well, one of the things that we ask people as we wrap up is if there is a particular passage of Scripture that's been on your heart, something that you'd like to share with our listeners. Uh, Travis, I think about uh, Psalm 16 a moment ago. I think for pastors and scholars, the Psalms play a great uh, can play a great role in our lives to encourage us, to keep us going. Neither of these uh, activities of pastoring or scholaring is uh, doing scholars. Scholastic work is easy, uh, and we need endurance, and the Psalms provide a framework for that. They also provide a great place to do biblical theology, to connect Old Testament, New Testament, to think about Christ. So meditating on the Psalms, and for language students, the Psalms in in Hebrew and Greek, in in both languages, provide uh, places to find grammatical patterns and phrases uh, and uh, lexical stock that are just fascinating and fun. Uh, it, it, you'll, you'll know that you're uh, called to the pastor-scholar model if you run out of day before you run out of questions and things that excite you, and the Psalms uh, are a rich treasure in that regard. That's a good reminder. You know, I, I've taken up the practice uh, of reading aloud a psalm in the morning, and I think just me vocalizing these words of Scripture, um, when I get put in that position where I feel betrayed, abandoned, joyful, uh, celebratory, I already have a vocabulary to express that mm-hmm. in a way that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, and if there's a way to express yourself, that's probably the best way. And so I think you're right. There's a treasure trove there. Well, Todd, thank you so much for being with us. I think it's going to be a, a huge benefit to our listeners, and I pray that they will take up the task of studying their Bible. Hmm. Amen. That's what we're after. Thank you, Travis. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm.